Um, I don't know if you've seen the latest Pew Research. I believe it's one, maybe two years old. Um, they like to do research. Yeah, you can put that up there, Colleen, on heaven and hell. I don't know if you can see that or not. Um, this is what Americans believe about heaven and hell. Um, all U.S. adults, uh, 73% believe in heaven, 62% believe in hell. Um, the good news is that 92% of Christians believe in heaven. That's always good. Um, 79% of Christians believe in hell. And you can, if you can see that, you can go down the list of Protestant evangelical. Um, I love the list uh, heading called unaffiliated. Uh, that's straight out of Oh Brother Where Art Thou, if you haven't seen that, I guess. Unaffiliated, um, the uh, atheist, agnostic, and nothing in particular categories. I love that 3% of atheists believe in heaven and 1%. There's like these two atheists out there who hope there's a hell for that person that they don't like, right? And also you notice that more women believe in heaven and hell than men do. But um, a few other... Um, one in six, the headlines aren't as, 61% of Americans believe in both heaven and hell. 13% believe only in heaven. 1% believe only in hell. And this is just kind of where you go, are they just saying stuff? 26% believe in neither. Um, and this is what we think heaven is like. Um, 69% believe we're free from suffering and you just go down the list. Uh, are you united with loved ones who died previously? We get to meet with God. We have perfectly healthy bodies and then are reunited with pets. And then there's the 44% who believe we see what happened on earth, 43% who believe we become angels. And then 25% believe we have relationships with people who live on earth. Um, and 15% believe you can actually choose to stop existing at any point, um, which is a fascinating statistic. 15%. Um, and then this really um, strikes me here. Look at the ones that are all over 50%. 50% believe that hell is a place of psychological and physical suffering, and it's where you become aware of the suffering you caused in this world. And you can see that there's very likely a connection between those two, is that you get the suffering that you gave. 44% believe you get to meet Satan. Yeah. Um, um, this was, I think this may be the last one. Um, four in 10 U.S. adults say people who do not believe in God can go to heaven. 45% of uh, Christians believe you can get to heaven without believing in God. And 2% um, of atheists are hoping that if there's a heaven, you can get there without believing in God. Um, so that's just a fascinating, alarming maybe number to me, um, that you can go to heaven where you meet God even if you really didn't care a whole lot about him um, before then. Um, and that's the Christian answer. So that's, that's American. Um, and this is also um, 
other religions that being thrown into the mix. So you can take that down if you like. Um, that was my fault. I think I just started music. Anyway, um, yeah. Um, not much mentioned there. <coughs> Excuse me. Of how you get to either place. Like, surely if God is good, then more than 50% will get in, right? Uh, but then what if I'm not good? Right, that was the C.S. Lewis line. Have you thought about how fearful it would be um, to meet a perfectly good God if you yourself were not good? Well, what if he's love? Well, that would be a lot better if he were to love, right? He might look over some stuff. Um, but what if he's holy? And what if we find in the Bible words like wrath and fury? And what if your pastor happens to be going through Revelation? And what if he comes to chapter 15 and 16 on Potluck Sunday? Um, instead of preaching on something happy, he just keeps right on trucking, and we get to words like wrath and fury. I apologize, but I just wanted to, you know, uh, here we are. Um, does that feel problematic to you, to use words like wrath and fury and apply them to God? Well, that would have been an interesting thing to put in the survey, right? Because um, I think it would have been problematic and... Um, I just had to, to ask myself the question, well, what role does our perspective play, particularly our culture? Like, if you answer those questions, does culture play any role in how you answer those questions and how you think about God ha being a God of wrath? Like, if they took that survey to, say, Kenya or Japan or Albania or Tbilisi, Georgia, or to Germany... Would the answers be different? Well, of course they would. They would probably be wildly different because culture affects the answer, of course. But I wonder, what if you could hear this morning from someone who is not tainted or influenced by American culture? Um, would it affect how you looked at this answer? And does that person exist? Uh, yes, they do. Well, yes, they do. Um, you say, well, everybody's affected by culture of some sort. Absolutely. But today we get to hear from people who are affected by the culture of heaven. And they're right on the scene. And we just kind of have to look at those questions and ask ourselves, well, does it make any difference? What does it mean for my worship. Like, did you catch the songs we sang this morning? This will be my song forever, right? This will be my story forever. Um, and what about our mission? What about the way we grieve? What about our joy? What about our humility? Um, so this morning, do you remember if we go back through Revelation, um, God gave us pictures of what judgment would be. He gave us pictures of seals, trumpets, and today we get bowls, um, right? The seals came off, one, two, three, four, five, six, and it was just disaster after disaster after disaster. And then uh, number seven, there was silence, and it was kind of like the next ones were kind of inside number seven. They came out, right? And then there were these trumpets, and the trumpets were blown, and one, two, three, four, five, and they just, just horrible stuff is happening. Well, let me read Revelation, <coughs> excuse me, 
15 verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues. Are you ready? Which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. This is the last set of seven. This is the third and final set. And if you're weary, um, there's hope after this morning. Um, but today we get to see, and there's, there's the word, for with them the wrath of God will be completed, will be finished. And then we get the setup. And if you think about what had happened in chapter 14 and chapter 13, right? You remember we had the dragon and we had these two beasts and we had the mark of the beast on their foreheads and on their hands and it was just war and fighting and death and it was not a pretty scene. And then you have this this scene where it says um, this harvest happens and it's the wine press of the wrath of God. And it says they will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. God has an anger cup. He fills it full of wrath wine. And he says it will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. And you just go, whew, wow, that sounds harsh. So that's, we've just seen that, and then we get to this. These, these last seven are about to happen, but, but listen to what he sees. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass. We saw a sea of glass before. This sea of glass is mingled with fire. I can't imagine what that must look like. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So you've got these who've been victorious, who've conquered. Do you remember what that was like? Do you remember Revelation 12, 11? They triumphed over him by the blood of the land and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Right? So these, these are the ones who endured. We saw the last chapter. It said it twice. Endure, be faithful to the end. These are the ones who did that. So the angels are there with their bowls, their plagues in hand. We've seen what happened. It's already gotten really bad. And what are they going to do? It says they sing. They sing. You're kind of like, hey, y'all, read the room. (laughs) Postpone the singing a little bit. It's been bad around here. Might be too soon to start singing. And it even says... God gave them harps. Is that not the most stereotypical heaven moment ever? But they've all got harps. And I'm just going to go ahead and, 
I've tried my best to avoid making guesses and making assumptions, but I'm going to make one this morning. I'm going to guess that when God hands you a harp, he gives you the ability to play it. (laughs) I sure hope so. I'm just imagining all these people. Is this upside down? How do I do this, right? No, he hands them the harp, and they've got harps. There's a bunch of them, and they just start singing. And we, we see their song. And it's, I love how in all of history, God brings this together. What's he called? The song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. It's like all of history is coming together. Do you remember when they came through the Red Sea and they sang this song? There's no one like you, Lord. Horse and the rider thrown into the sea. My wife was here. She would sing a song of that, but she's not. I will proclaim the name of the Lord and ascribe greatness to him. The rock, his work is perfect. All right? Now, we're going to come back to their song because there's going to be another song in a minute. We're going to compare the songs and see why wrath and fury are appropriate in these songs. But let's keep trucking. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened, And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure white, bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. So the door opens, these seven angels come out, and they're just bright and light. And just one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls for the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. There it is again. It says, The sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of the Lord and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Again, right out of Moses, right? Exodus 40, the cloud covered the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Right out of Solomon when he dedicated the temple, right? The place was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Right out of Isaiah, the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So again, we see all of this history coming together, and so we've got this smoky thing. We're like, we've got to get out of here. It's glory. And these seven majestic angels walk out, and they've got these bowls with the wrath of God. And then you get to verse, chapter 16, and I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls, here it is again, of the wrath of God. So we're going to run through these. Boy, there's a lot to say that I'm not going to say. This is a very controversial chapter, but sorry. Um, Let's just go through the bowls. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. Everybody's got these sores. This is, this is going to sound very, you're going, to, you're going to think to yourself, this sounds like when the Israelites were in Egypt and the plagues. You're going to see some interesting similarities here. But if you can imagine millions of people having a sores, like everybody's going to be not only in pain, but everybody's going to be grumpy with each other, right? So you just got a grumpy planet full of sore people, right? That's the first one. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse. Every living thing died that was in the sea. So now the sea is dying. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters. How cool is that? There's an angel. There's like a water angel. He's like oversees that department. 
And he says, just are you, O holy one, who is and was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. Oof. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. For those of you who are very concerned about planet Earth at this point, I just want to tell you, it's going to get fixed. I hate to give the ending away, but it's going to get fixed, okay? But man, is it getting bad. Okay, the fourth angel pours out his bowl on the sun, and it says, you can't see this in the Greek, but it says, it became Houston in August, or something like that. They were scorched by the fierce heat and cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. And here's the line, they did not repent and give him glory. They did not repent. Now, this is just like before. They don't think, oh, this is Mother Nature acting up. They make a very clear connection between this heat and all that's going on and the sovereignty of God who's doing this. And they curse him rather than honor him or glorifying him. As if to say that if they had repented, God would have said, I got you. Angel number five pours out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And we talked about last week this and its kingdom. So there's this kingdom that the beast has. And I guess, I don't know what he does. He turns off the electricity. And his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Everybody's flipping switches and nothing's happening. It's dark. Do you remember that from Exodus as well? People gnawed their tongues in anguish. Wow. And what they do? They cursed the God of heaven for their pain and their sores. So the pain and the sores are still going on. Now it's dark. And they did not repent of their deeds. They cursed God. They do not repent. Number six. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Okay, this is a setup. This is kind of getting ready for the next thing that's going to happen. The great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up. That's a big deal. To prepare the way for the kings from the east. So we're, I guess we're reduced to ground war at this point. They've got to get across a river. It's dried. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. That's crazy. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. So this demons go out and they deceive all the kings into coming to fight against God. And, and, and look what it says. It, assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Boy, that's a giveaway, isn't it? It's like, oh, it's God's day. Okay, we know how that fight's going to go. And then you've got, if you have a red-letter Bible, you've got Bible letters in red. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Remember that line? Like a th you don't know when a thief's going to show up unless blessed is the one who stays awake keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and exposed. In other words, there are people who know to look for the signs. But for some people, it's going to be a surprise. And they assembled at a place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon, this vast plain where this big fight's going to happen. Um, if you've ever been to Israel and climbed up on that mountain where the prophets of Baal and Elijah fought, you can look down and see that plain of Armageddon. 
And if you're there at the right time of the day, you can watch Israeli fighter jets go right by you. It's really amazing. And you go, whoa, this is going to be big and intense. So they're set up. And then there's bowl number seven. We'll get back to the war. That's just a setup. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. So out in the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. It is done. It's kind of like when Tartan was talking last week. (laughs) Enough. We're finished. But with it is done comes this. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, great earthquakes, such as there had never been since man was on earth. So great was the earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. You're drinking this. And every island fled away. No mountains were to be found. Great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail. Again, they know God's doing this because the plague was so severe. That's all. They lived happily ever after. No, nobody's living happily ever after in this text, but we're doing two chapters, and I'm sorry to end on such a severe note. But let's go back to how we started. How many times did we see that? A cup of his wrath, like the cup of anger filled with wrath, the wrath of his fury. Wow. That's not like Jesus with a kid in his lap, is it? But I want want to hear from the people who are influenced by the culture of heaven, the people who are watching this happen, and I want to just look at what they say about God in all of this. And there's, there's a line that's repeated twice. Verse 3 and verse 7 of chapter 16, verse 3 of verse 15. Just and true are your ways. Chapter 16, just and true are your judgments. In all of this, Nobody's saying, whoa, God, back off just a little bit there, man. You seem to have flown off the handle. They're saying, God, you're doing exactly the right thing. You're doing the righteous thing. This is what a good judge would do, and you are a good judge. You are true in your ways. You think about what it means for someone to be true, right? It's not just... You speak true, but he's true in the things he does. He is true himself. He is always true to his core. He always acts consistent and whole with himself. He is faithful. He is true. He keeps his promises. So in all of this, if you want the perspective of someone who's there, they're saying, this is just and this is true. And they ask this rhetorical question. Who will not fear you and give glory to your name? Everyone's going to see this and they're going to know. This is just. This is just. And you, God, are true. And then it's the repeated word. You are the Holy One. 
You are the Holy One. You are holy. This kind of wraps all of that up. You are perfect in all your ways. Everything you do is above and beyond anything we could imagine. So your justice is holy. Your truth is holy. Your love is holy. Your righteousness is holy. There is no one like you. The angels say, holy, holy, holy. You, you are above and beyond what we can even imagine. But then notice also, it says, he who lives forever and ever. That's chapter 15, verse 7. Then you got down to chapter 16, verse 5. O holy one who is and who was. You think about that. Who has a better perspective on justice than someone who's eternal? Right? He's seen what's been. He's seen what's going to be. He sees perfectly what is. Before the heavens were brought forth from eternity to eternity, you are God. So he's not, he's not influenced by time. He's not influenced by place. He's not influenced by age. He's not just like old and grumpy and just ready to get this over with. He's eternal. He has a timeless perspective, even on his own wrath. And then it says king of nations even king of ages maybe in your translations. Nations come, nations go. Presidents, kings, princes, dictators, emperors, queens, prime ministers, they come and go, and God is still king over all. So look at, look at those traits. He's just and he's true. He's holy, he's eternal, and he's king. And this is the testimony of those who went through the worst, Remember? These are the people who were, these are the martyrs. These are the martyrs, right? It says these are the, the voices coming from the altar. Do you remember what they were saying earlier? How long, Lord, how long? Well, and they watch this unfold and they say, you're holy, you're just, you're true, you're king. And you realize when you, you look at this and then you, you see things like a survey or you realize what's in your own heart when you read a text like this and you go, well, Maybe the problem is, is I'm not holy and I'm not eternal. I'm bound to this little bitty set of years that's just like a blip on the radar in all of human history. So I don't really have a timeless perspective on God or his ways in the world or justice or wrath. Um, Nations come, nations go, and I'm born into one of them, right? (laughs) And so I, I have to be willing to admit that I'm influenced by where I live. When I accuse me, when, when I look at this and I say, really? The smoke of their torment and the cup of your fear? <laughs> oh my goodness. I have to admit that maybe the part of what rises up in me is that I'm not holy, I'm not eternal, and I'm influenced by where I live, and we just don't like stuff like this if it's coming from God. The angels are influenced by the culture of heaven. And I thought about this week, and I'm, I'm curious. I don't know if anybody would know the answer. I'd love to hear later over lunch, maybe. I wonder if there are cultures that would be equally offended by eternal life. You know what I mean? Like, really? How dumb is that? You think you're going to be loved forever? What kind of squishy God is that? 
What kind of God rewards humans? Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Really? Really? Pleasures forevermore? Come on. I wonder if there are cultures out there that would hear that and go, ugh. What kind of God is that? We want a God with a little more manliness than that or something. I don't know. But then I also realized this, James 1, 19 to 22. Know this, that my beloved brother, brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, or the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Everybody in this room knows there have been moments when you were the opposite. You were slow to listen quick to hear and quick to get angry. And your anger did not produce something good when that happened. And it certainly didn't produce something righteous for God, right? So some big event happens, everybody's full of wrath. And we wonder, why didn't the righteousness of God come out of that? Right? We've all seen that. And so our own understanding of anger and wrath Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. We're just not very good at that. And so God's righteousness rarely comes out of our anger. So it's, it's hard for us to grasp that there's a perfect, holy, timeless being who has righteousness come out of his wrath. One last thing, just about the idea of eternity. And we saw this this morning, but there's, there's some that are more specific than this. Um, we all know that one day it will be more clear, right? What did Paul say? We Now it's like looking through a, a glass darkly, but then it'll be face-to-face. Um, I, I have a friend who's an army chaplain, in, and he's in Belgium right now. I've known him since elementary school, and um, graduated from high school with him. We still keep in touch, and... Um, we, we had a mutual friend who, who took his life a couple of weeks ago, 55 years old, and just gave up and took his life. And, um, and he and I, we, the three of us went, I mean, me and the other guy, we'd walk home from school together. And, and where my friend Eddie in Belgium lives, there's a tunnel that he has to walk through to, to go where he goes. goes under the street in this tunnel. And what he's found is, is this tunnel is the perfect place to sink. And so the army chaplain sings in the tunnel and he, and he will like video himself and say, this is for so-and-so. People are starting to request songs now for the tunnel. So um, <laughs> when, our, when our friend died, he sang a song for him. But recently he sang the song, um, and, and some of you are going to know this song, Farther Along We'll Know All About It. Farther Along We'll Understand Why. Right, there's, there's something built into our message that says we don't get it yet, but we will. Or the old hymn, by and by, Lord, when the morning comes, when the saints of God are gathered home, we'll tell the story of how we under- overcome, we'll understand it better 
by and by. We sing about this. We sing about the fact that our understanding is little and we don't understand it all. But one day we will. And one day maybe we'll get to join in the song and say, Just and true are your ways, O King of Nations, even when it's wrath and fury. But let me just finish with one thing. This God who is just and true, who is eternal King of Nations, let's not forget that he loves us. And constant, look what it is. It's the song of the Lamb. The Lamb. He's the one who bled and died and gave himself for us and rose again. He, this one sacrificed himself on our behalf. He, he placed himself in the hands of angry, unjust people. And suffered at their hands. Incredible. For us. So let's not balk at that either. Let's, let's be amazed. Let's sing, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And then let us let our, ourselves be mar- and marvel at it. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, uh, these texts in Revelation sometimes are just kind of uh, baffling, but your angels get it. <laughs> Um, and yet they even long to peer into the gospel and the, the message that saves us. And, and so here we are with our incomplete, time-bound, sin-stained understanding, and yet we know enough to marvel, and we know enough to be amazed and to stand amazed in your presence. We know enough to worship, and we know enough to say, yes, you are the true one and the just one, and you're the holy one. We know that much. Oh, how we look forward to seeing Jesus. Until then, help us to trust. Help us to open our hearts to your love. Help us to humble ourselves in how, in how small our understanding is and how time-bound and culture-bound we are and place-bound we are. Help us to humble ourselves so that we can worship all the better, so that we can proclaim the gospel all the better. But God, it's the most appropriate thing in the world that we would sing. Um, and God, if, it's, if you one day hand all a, harp, a harp to all of us, I look forward to to learning how to play it with my brothers and sisters. Um, But thank you for people who know how to play stuff now. Um, We just praise you, King of Nations, Holy One, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.